Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, NAMI Minnesota is offering free online classes to help Minnesotans cope with mental health issues during COVID-19. Vaping is up among young adults, and a U of M sophomore wins big on Jeopardy. But first... Minnesota's efforts to combat COVID-19 were in the national spotlight again this week. I will leave here today inspired and encouraged that we're one step closer uh, to reopening our country um, and, uh, and healing our land because of the work you're doing here. Vice President Mike Pence touring Mayo Clinic to see firsthand their research and testing efforts on coronavirus. But the vice president drew criticism because he did not wear a mask at Mayo, even though the clinic informed him of its policy before his visit. Senator Tina Smith said it's a good time for elected leaders to lead by example. The clear recommendation of the doctors and public health people are that masks will help all of us from inadvertently spreading the virus because we could be infected even though we don't feel ill. Pence told reporters the precautions were not needed because he and everyone around him are regularly tested for coronavirus. The vice President said since he doesn't have COVID-19, he wanted to look researchers and incredible health care personnel in the eye and say thank you. SEIU Healthcare Minnesota President Jamie Gully said the vice president ignoring the safety policy, quote, insults the hard work and sacrifice of all health care workers, and even worse, puts them, their patients, and their families at risk. Chorus of car horns in Worthington as Congressman Colin Peterson and Governor Tim Walls this week talked about necessary steps to reopen the JBS pork processing plant, closed because of COVID cases among employees, and how to help farmers who are having to euthanize their hogs because closed processing plants can't take them. We're doing the best we can, and if we had Smithfield that was doing the same thing, it would be a little bit better than Waterloo. Peterson said composting of euthanized hogs is too expensive, landfilling could pollute the community's water supply, and current law does not allow USDA to euthanize healthy animals. I'm going to give the authority to the Secretary to retroactively pay farmers for euthanizing and hauling them and burying them and all that stuff. It's going to be in there, I'll guarantee you. Republican Congressman Jim Hagedorn applauded President Trump's order to reopen meat processing plants. There are some examples around the country as how, as how we can do this. They actually had an issue, they worked through it, they cleaned things up, and before you know it, they're up and running again. Governor Walls responded, we need these plants up and running. However... No executive order I do or the president does is going to get those hogs processed if the people who know how to do it are sick or do not feel like they can be there. Back at the state capitol, Representative Tim Miller from Prinsburg told fellow lawmakers about a family farmer who called him, saying he usually sends twelve to 1,300 hogs to market per week, but now that's effectively zero. Mark told me he'd like to invite legislators and the governor out to his farm to watch what it does to take to compost 350-pound hogs several hundred at a time. No one's going to want to do that, but he's going to have to be doing that pretty soon. If they are rendering and composting all these hogs, what are we going to have when this changes? What's going to happen with our meat supply coming down the road soon? Republicans in the Minnesota House tried again this week without success to cancel the governor's emergency declaration, an attempt to force a compromise on reopening some Minnesota businesses. Wilmer Representative Dave Baker. Governor, please 
don't use a machete and just do a broad stay at home for another two to four weeks. Use a scalpel and do this right. House Democratic Majority Leader Ryan Winkler fired back. It's not Governor Walls who has shut down Minnesota businesses. It is a virus. It is people being concerned about their own health. As speculation swirled about whether the governor would extend his stay-at-home order past May 4th, Walls this week said Minnesota has enough hospital beds, either already operational or that can be quickly staged, to handle the coming COVID-19 peak. I today can comfortably tell you that when we hit our peak, and it's still projected to be about a month away, if you need an ICU bed and you need a ventilator, you will get it in Minnesota. Next day, the governor announced he is extending the stay-at-home order until May 18th, but also easing restrictions on retail businesses. All customer-facing retail establishments are eligible for curbside delivery pickup starting next Monday. Whatever it might be, all of them are, are available for that. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka said the governor should move further and faster, opening businesses up again in Minnesota. The governor responded, If there is the potential for us to get and show that we can do this curbside right, we get people moving, and we have the plans in place to allow some retail transactions inside the stores with a limited number of people, then it is our intention to do that. House Republican Minority Leader Kurt Dowd said Minnesota retailers are ready to safely serve customers curbside, but if their large competitors can be open to customer traffic, our smaller retailers should be extended the same opportunity and trust by the governor. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Up next, NAMI Minnesota is offering some free online classes to help support Minnesotans and their mental health during COVID-19. More on that when Minnesota Matters returns. Hi, Minnesota. Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules. Wash your hands cover your cough, don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat, they actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The National Alliance on Mental Illness, Minnesota, or NAMI, is offering a variety of online mental health classes for the month of May. I recently spoke with NAMI Executive Director Sue Abderholden about what we can all do to bolster our mental health during COVID-19. Well, because a lot of people are dealing with kind of anxiety and depression with all the uncertainty in the world, we're trying to make sure that we have classes available for the general public, but also uh, people who perhaps are living with a mental illness or parents who are at home with their children all day. So we have a class called Discipline Tips for Stressed Parents, which we think is really important during this time of children being home 24-7 and parents trying to work from home. We also have a class on good mental health in the workplace, helping employers know what they can do to promote good mental health and what some accommodations might be as well. We're also doing the Together We Can Make It Okay uh, part of the campaign with um, health partners. We're doing that presentation. 
We're doing QPR, which is Question, Persuade, and Refer. It's a suicide prevention program. And we also have a wellness series. Um, One of them is called Keep in Touch. So how can you connect with others when we're practicing social or physical distancing? Um, And then we're also going to be doing mental illness and crisis communication strategies if someone is really experiencing those signs and symptoms. We have classes about anxiety in older adults. And we also have one on the importance of family education and support. And also another one, actually, on understanding early episode psychosis um, for professionals. So a lot of kind of different topics that we know are really important for people right now. And Sue, tell me a little bit about how these classes work. So all people have to do, they're listed on our website and on our Facebook page. Um, All you have to do is register. We are uh, providing them through Zoom, so you want to be able to download the Zoom app on your phone or on your computer. Uh, You can also join by phone, um, which is also helpful. And most of them are a half hour, or sorry, an hour in length. We do have something called um, NAMI moments for parents, and they're usually 15 minutes. But we've also taped them and put them up on YouTube and through our website. So, you know, parents never know when they're going to be free, especially when your children are home all day. And so this way they can just take that 15 minutes whenever they can and uh, listen to the program and hopefully get the help that they need. Uh, You covered a lot of ground in terms of the types of classes that are being offered. I'm curious um, if we could maybe just pick one or two to talk about. Obviously, you talked a couple times about parents and and dealing with kids at home who are distance Mm -hmm. learning, parents working from home. I'm wondering, what are you hearing from parents about some of the the biggest challenges that they're facing during COVID-19? I think what parents are seeing in the home is that children have very high anxiety. I mean, they know something isn't right, even if they're at kindergarten age, right? Um, So they're feeling a lot of anxiety, feeling it from their parents. And then you have teenagers and middle school students who are really grieving over the loss of some of the big events, whether it's graduation or prom or some type of sports tournament or, you know, a band concert, things like that. And so it's harder. And so to try to, you know, we have parents who are trying to create um, schedules, and sometimes you have to let that schedule go. You have really have to look at what's happening with your children. So we want parents not to feel guilty about they're not teaching them French during lunchtime, right? Um, and we want them to really, you know, kind of model some of those good coping strategies. So maybe doing deep breathing with your child or doing yoga or mindfulness, um, taking a walk or moving you know, to music and dancing to music, things like that, that help the endorphins move in your brain and help calm you down. And that sort of leads to my next question. I was going to ask if you had any tips uh, for, for mindfulness other than maybe some of the things you just mentioned that people can utilize to, to try to stabilize any sort of anxiety that they might be feeling because they're stuck at home. There's actually some really good apps out there, Um, Headspace, uh, Calm, that you can use. They have different um, timelines, so sometimes it's one-minute mindfulness. Uh, Sometimes it can be 10 or 15 minutes, and um, those apps are free. Um, There are more kind of complicated programs on those apps that you can pay for, but the other ones are free, and I would really kind of highly recommend doing that. We're also seeing a lot of people offering yoga Um, online. And again, those are all good practices that that people could use. 
And Sue, for anybody out there who feels as though they're maybe not able to handle this anymore or they're at wit's end, uh, what would you recommend that they do if they're, if they're sort of feeling desperate right now? So if they're feeling really desperate, um, you can text, um, actually 741-741-TEXT-MN uh, for Minnesota to 741-741, or you can call the suicide hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. And those numbers, people will respond 24-7 and can really kind of help someone through this and talk through it. And even if you're worried about someone else, go ahead and call and so that you can learn some strategies to help that person. Uh, great information, Sue. I always appreciate your insight. Anything else you uh, want to share with listeners out there as we all deal with COVID-19? You know, I guess the big thing is grace. So we're all going to lose it <laughs> at some point, right? Um, whether it's bursting into tears or being angry, because this is a this is a really difficult time. And so just give grace and space and, you know, say, okay, tomorrow will be better. Thank you to my guest, Sue Abderholden with NAMI Minnesota. Again, a complete list of available classes can be found at namimn.org. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The use of e-cigarettes, known as vaping, has been increasing dramatically among young adults relative to other age groups and has recently received increased attention because of a rise in vaping-related mortality that is not yet fully understood. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. Young adults with a history of cancer are more likely to engage in high-risk behaviors despite their increased health risks due to the late effects of their cancer. However, until now, we had little information on use of e-cigarettes in young adult cancer survivors. Here to talk about the study is Helen Parsons with the University of Minnesota School of Public Health. Helen, let's start a little bit about the background of this study. Yes, um... So we know that in the United States, uh, e-cigarettes, also known as vaping, uh, have been increasing very dramatically among young adults more generally uh, in the population. And they've really received very um, high attention due to some reports of vaping-related injuries and some mortality. But we don't fully understand uh, the underlying factors that are causing this. So in my work, I study young adults with cancer, and um, we know that in this population, they are known to be at higher risk for what we call late effects or uh, effects due to their cancer and their cancer treatments. And those might include things such as second cancers. But uh, what we don't understand is if these young adults are engaging in risky behaviors such as vaping, Uh, that might increase their risk for uh, those late effects uh, at at higher rates relative to their peers. And so uh, we undertook a study looking at um, how often and how frequently young adults who have had a history of cancer are vaping or using e-cigarettes relative to their peers without cancer. And who was targeted throughout this study? Uh, So we looked at young adults. Uh, broadly, and the National Cancer Institute uh, identifies 
AYAs or adolescents and young adults as those who are diagnosed between the ages of 18 and 39. And overall, this is a really vulnerable age for um, for a lot of reasons. You know, young adults are going through a lot of transitions in their life. They're transitioning uh, to college, their first jobs, and their families. And so there's a lot of opportunities there for them to kind of fall through the health, uh, the health system. Uh, we know that they're, they're far less likely to be insured. Uh, and so they may not get that um, screening or the health care visits they need to catch some of their diseases early, such as cancer. And so overall, this population uh, tends to have worse outcomes relative to both pediatric and older adults with cancer. Helen, now that the study is done, will you be tracking, uh, I guess, the study participants? So for our study, this is really just a cross-sectional survey, so a one-time, point-in-time survey using the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System Survey. It's a nationally representative survey conducted annually across all 50 states. Uh, and so with that, we're able to see at this point in time, so currently, uh, who uh, among cancer survivors and those who have never had a cancer history, uh, what their their past, whether or not they're either currently using e-cigarettes or if they've ever used e-cigarettes. And so we, it will be really important for us to continue to look at this question over time and we'll be able to look at patterns um, going forward, uh, not necessarily within the same individuals, but patterns in the general population, which is the strength of the study. So can we conclude there is a direct link between vaping and cancer? So our study didn't directly evaluate the impact or the, the relationship between vaping and cancer. Uh, what uh, what we do know from the research is that many of the, the chemicals that are in these e-cigarettes um, uh, are uh, can have carcinogenic properties uh, and may increase the risk uh, for developing cancer. And so uh, what we were able to do in our study is to look at behaviors uh, and understand how young adults uh, who have been diagnosed with cancer use e-cigarettes relative to uh, their peers who have never had a, a cancer diagnosis. Before we wrap up today, Helen, let's talk about some of the highlights and takeaways, I guess, that stuck out to you in this study. One of the, the main findings that we had is, is that almost half of the young adult cancer survivors indicated that they had ever vaped. And among those, uh, more than a quarter of our young adult cancer survivors indicated that they were still using e-cigarettes even after their diagnosis of cancer. Uh, and we know that uh, in this population, the highest rates of vaping uh, were occurring in men, uh, those who were non-Hispanic white, and some of our younger uh, young adults, so those kind of in that, in that 18 to, to 24 category. Um, uh, so overall, they are really using uh, e-cigarettes or vaping at very uh, at disproportionately higher rates relative to those without a cancer history. So that will be really important for us to understand uh, and identify opportunities to reduce vaping and really um, educate these young adult cancer survivors on their their risk of vaping and uh, for potential uh, long-term outcomes and adverse outcomes after their diagnosis. Thanks again to my guest, Helen Parsons, with the University of Minnesota School of Public Health. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this.
Hi, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz here. I know the past few weeks have been incredibly difficult and disruptive. We're facing an unprecedented challenge in the COVID-19 virus. I want you to know that the state of Minnesota is putting every resource into this fight. We're being thoughtful and collaborative both inside and outside of government to keep Minnesotans safe. What I need from each of you is, is continue to do what you've been doing so well. Stay home when you can, especially when you're sick. Follow those rules, wash your hands, cover your cough, don't touch your face. They're not just things to repeat, they actually save lives. If you need more information, please go to the Minnesota Department of Health website and use the hashtag StayHomeMN. Minnesotans, we've been through challenging times before. This will press us, but we will get through it. We'll do it by the basic decency, about caring for our neighbors and following the rules that keep us all safe. We'll get through this together, Minnesota, and come out stronger on the other side. Thanks for your cooperation. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Game show fans likely watched U of M sophomore Nabir Sarma of Eden Prairie win $100,000 in early April after winning the Jeopardy College Championships. Sarma, who joins Mike Grimm this week to talk about the experience on Minnesota Matters, says he was excited to get the chance to appear on the show. So I first got sort of interested in the show when I was in high school. My friends and I would hang out in my parents' basement and play through using old questions that they had actually like used on the show and play Jeopardy within ourselves. Uh, I came to a point where I decided, hey, I'm pretty good at this. I should try out. So I took the online test my freshman year. I didn't make it, but I took it again this past fall, got invited to an audition in St. Louis, and then I had to wait until sort of mid-January when I got the call saying like, hey, you made it onto the college championship. We're going to fly you out to LA. So then we filmed it in February. And uh, for the two months in between February and April, I'd just been, you know, I knew that I'd won because we'd already filmed it, but I'd just been sort of sitting on that news. Yeah. How hard was that once you knew you won to, uh, I'm sure uh, uh, some of your closest friends probably knew you had gone. Did you have to even keep it quiet to them as well? Yeah, I I would say I'm pretty good at keeping secrets, but um, it was definitely hard. As soon as I, like the day when I came back, of course, it was really fresh in my mind. So I was kind of just like poking at my room. It's like, hey, you know that I flew out for Jeopardy. How well do you think I did? <laughs> or just to see what what their predictions would be. Yeah, just a little fishing expedition there to see what they thought. Um, a couple of things. Did you Once you made the show, did you do any study in specific to the show? Um, and two, what kind of strategies did you feel you wanted to employ once you made it onto the show to uh, maximize, obviously, the dollar amount is the key whole thing? Yeah, um, I didn't do specific studying for the show. What I did do to prepare was um, I used a little pen that they had given us at our auditions, and it's shaped a little bit like the signaling device that's used on the show. So I'd carry that pen around with me and sort of click it up and down just to practice getting the feel of uh, signaling in like really quickly because that's um, a big part of the show. And as far as strategy goes, um, when I ca came to LA to film the show, my number one goal is at the end of every double Jeopardy round before Final Jeopardy, I wanted to always be in first place as much as possible. Um, in my first quarterfinal game, that didn't end up happening. So I had to sort of uh, do that on the fly and adapt my strategy. But in the rest of my games, I was able to do that and I felt a lot more comfortable. Well, and in that first one, right, you you uh, you went big on the final Jeopardy and that that pushed you into the wild card spot, which was which was key, right? Yeah. So I felt like 
even though I wasn't in first place or I wasn't in as much of an advantageous position as I wanted to be, um, I knew I could rely on my bank of knowledge so I could bet big without worrying too much. All right, so a couple of quick hitting questions here. Um, I have watched that show for a long time. Always have been a fan of Alex Trebek. Is he as cool in person as he seems uh, on the show? Yeah, he's definitely exactly the guy that you see on TV. Uh, you, of course, had some fun with him once you had it wrapped up. Um, uh, for those that missed maybe the, the final final Jeopardy question, you knew you had it won, uh, so you wagered little. And give us your answer and his response and then your response. Yep, I had the right answer, but I decided to write down who the man so that he would have to read it out loud. And then I responded with you the man, Alex. He liked that too, didn't he? Yeah, it was a little, it was a lot of fun to have. I mean, you're only out there a couple of days filming, but some of the other contestants uh, you've stayed in touch with? Yeah, of course, we're all connected on social media now. We have a group chat that we, um, that we talk in very often. And we actually do online trivia games, sort of like bar trivia, but of course now everything's online. So we do some online trivia games every week. You have been a member of the Quiz Bowl, both at the high school level at Eden Prairie and at the University of Minnesota. How much did that help, do you think, um, just to have a broad base of knowledge? Oh, definitely a lot. I'm really glad that I've uh, continued being part of the Quiz Bowl community, both in high school in Eden Prairie and at the U of M. Uh, they're some of my closest friends that I have at college. Chemical engineering is your major. Uh, obviously, you, like all of your fellow students, are now distance learning um, online stuff. How much of a challenge has that been with a major that's that challenging? Oh, yeah. I got a little lucky this semester because I'm not in that many technical courses, but um, I know my friends who are in the same major as me and are having to take classes online. It's, it's really difficult. It's definitely a lot different from the in-person experience. What do you like most about that major and what do you hope down the road to, uh, to do with that major in, in real life, so to speak? Oh, I really love sort of solving problems with chemistry, physics, and math. It's just the kinds of things that I like to think about a lot. And down the road, I hope to be part of the solution to some of the bigger problems that face the world, like clean water, energy, um, consumer products, all of those really important parts of everyday life. So you enjoy the studies, the research, uh, diving in and, and getting all the details. Yep. And I'm also working, at, I'm doing an internship this semester as well. So I'm getting some real life experience too. So you are going to be able to be involved with the Tournament of Champions as well. When is that coming up and when should we keep an eye on, on that to be on TV? I haven't heard yet, but I'll definitely be posting about it a bunch on social media once I know. Very good. Well, hey, we appreciate it. It was so fun to follow, uh, follow along and to see all those episodes and to see you uh, crushing it and representing the University of Minnesota. And like I said, it was so cool because you had so much response. And um, I mean, what was that like, too, in regard to the football coach and the president of the university and, and all these uh, people that are important to the school um, um, shouting you out, so to speak? Yeah, it's been awesome seeing everyone from like both the athletic side to the administrative side to many different parts of the university showing their support for me. Um, I definitely did not expect it and it's been it's been really positive. That's 2020 Jeopardy College Championship winner Nabir Sarma, U of M sophomore with Mike Grimm. In addition to his involvement with Quiz Bowl at the U, Sarma is also a member of the pep band at the Golden Gopher Hockey Games. That's going to do it for this week. Please stay safe. Thank you for listening and tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.